All right, so we're in, uh, welcome to Redemption Seattle. We are in our second, third, fourth week, last week of spiritual gifts. I think you heard uh, Sunday morning, I'll reiterate, next three weeks our membership class, then we're taking two Wednesdays off, and then, um, what is it, May, uh, April 10th? 12th. April 12th, the Wednesday, the Wednesday after Easter, April 12th, we, we will start uh, a league of their own. So five important women in the Bible. And uh, I'll tell you more about that some other time, like the first night of it. We'll talk about it. Man, it's really coming down. Fun. All right, so let's review some spiritual gifts. Uh, week one was the introduction. If you read through the New Testament, you realize that uh, Jesus has one and only one plan for uh, uh, proclaiming the gospel, and that would be the church. And who or what is the church? Anybody want to volunteer what that is? We are. we are, right. It's us, not these four buildings, blah, blah, blah. And how is he going to do that work? Okay, so I've done a really good job of... <laughs> He is going to equip us. Uh, one of the ways he equips us is through the spiritual gifts, by gifting us, okay? By equipping us saints. By the way, definition, biblical definition of a saint is anybody who believes in Jesus. You don't have to, you don't have to be dead to be a saint. Um, Paul writes to the saints in his churches. So the biblical definition of a saint is somebody who follows Jesus. Now, I know that for some of you who are married, you're thinking, that's just not true. I get that, okay? But theologically, it is true, okay? Uh, so in week one, we laid the groundwork. We talked about what is and what is not a spiritual gift. A spiritual gift is not the fruit of the Spirit. It's not a talent or a strength, and it's not a spiritual discipline, though all three of those things can help the manifestation of the gifts in a really positive way, can enhance the spiritual gifts. A spiritual gift is an ability that God gives you that maybe you were aware of in some sense before you became a Christian, but now it's blossoming and other people are calling it out of you uh, as a Christian. They see it in you and it's something then for the purpose of building up others in the church. It's not for the purpose of building you up. It is for the purpose of serving and building up others in the church and the church. Okay? And we uh, understand that there is a diversity of the gifts, but they all come from one spirit. There's a diversity of the gifts, but they all come from one Lord, from one God. And so we are a body with Jesus as the head. Then in week two, we went very deep into uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, if you had been here during the uh, 1 Corinthians, uh, when we just worked through 1 Corinthians uh, on Wednesday nights during our Bible studies, you know that we went way deeper on chapter 12 um, during week two of this series than we did even when we were going through 1 Corinthians. So in 1 Corinthians 12, we looked at the issue of spiritual gifts through this lens that Paul gives us, the lens being that uh, he was saying, you have a problem in the church at Corinth, and the problem, one of the problems you have there is being caused by the misuse the misapplication of the gifts, and the fact that you're trying to lord your gifts over others and make you feel superior to others in the church. 
then we spent some time defining some of the 24 or 26 gifts that he lists in chapter 12. And we talked about how the gifts are individually and diversely given to members of the church, but that the church is one body and it's unified by the gifts. It should not be divided by the gifts. And then finally, we reminded, uh, we, we talked about how uh, Paul reminds them that, that if the gifts are not practiced first and foremost through the lens of love, then please stop. Don't even bother unless you're going to practice them through the lens of love. Then uh, the third week, two weeks ago, we looked at Romans 12 and Ephesians chapter 4. And the two main themes, along with uh, unpacking uh, more definitions of the spiritual gifts, were this in Romans 12 and Ephesians 4. Number one, uh, using your gifts is not only encouraged, but it is a part of your calling as somebody. It's a part of your responsibility as somebody who is going to walk or live their life in a manner that is worthy of the gospel calling in your life. So the spiritual gifts are not just an accessory that's added to your, onto your salvation for you to use if you want, but rather they, um, your gifts must be used for God's sake, literally. And then second of all, uh, we learn from those two passages that while, uh, again, not as strongly as in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul still discusses the spiritual gifts in the context of making sure that we use them and don't abuse them, uh, that we use them uh, slathered in love, and that we understand that the gifts are not a source of pride for us, but rather uh, it is how we serve and build up the body of Christ. So tonight we have one more somewhat brief passage, 1 Peter chapter 4, and then we'll do some uh, assessment work. Uh, some inventory work. Uh, so we have that chair all sit up there. Some of you can pray about whether or not you're going to sit in that chair and answer this very publicly. Um, we'll take volunteers and, uh, later on. So it's 1 Peter chapter 4. So find 1 Peter toward the end of the New Testament. Go to chapter 4. We're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 7 through 13. Why 7 through 13? There's only one verse that talks about the gifts. Well, if you know me, context is really important. So I want to make sure we have the context correct. So 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 13. I'll read the whole passage and we'll come back and unpack it. Peter writes, now remember, this is not Paul, this is Peter. Okay, so we have a new source, a different source talking uh, in terms of uh, talking about the gifts. Uh, the end of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So we'll define those three gifts in a minute, hospitality, teaching, and serving. Um, but again, I want to I do some contextual work first. So he starts by saying the end of all things is at hand. The end of all things is at hand. What does it mean that the end of all things is at hand? It means that Jesus is putting on his sandals and he's on his way, right? 
He's on his horse. He's saying, listen, we're, we're in the last days in the sense that when Jesus comes again, that's uh, the end of it, okay? The problem, of course, I don't know if you've run into this, but as a pastor, I run into it quite often. Uh, many people use this little verse, this little clause in this verse to justify their insistence that Jesus is on his way pretty much next week, that we can count on seeing him next week. I'm even having those conversations right now. And while I would agree that things are pretty messed up in the world, um, uh, I, I, I'm, still, I, I, I'm still not convinced. And the reason I'm not convinced is because uh, I think it was Jesus who in the book of Matthew said, no one knows the day or the hour. No, no, are there any exceptions? Any except no one, except this person in the 21st century who read some book by some... Anyway, so... Okay. Jesus is on his way. I'll give you that. The problem is, is that people have been next weeking us for centuries. You understand what I'm saying? Every generation has this problem. Okay. So it just becomes night, just sort of like white noise uh, for me. And what's really annoying, just personally, I'll just tell you, what's really annoying is that the people who make these predictions never seem to be sorry that they've misled people. Have you ever noticed that? How many of you know the story of Harold Camping? This is just one in thousands of stories. Anybody ever heard of Harold Camping? Yes, my brother and sister in the back row, yes. Did you give money to Harold Camping? Praise Jesus, thank you very much. Okay, so uh, when I became aware of Harold Camping in early 2011, okay, um, billboards started popping up all over the United States that said May 21st, 2011, Jesus is coming. Be ready. Be prepared. Call this number and give to this ministry. Okay? Be ready. Be prepared. All right? May 21st. May 21st was a Sunday. Okay? Anybody remember that? You saw the, you saw the billboards? Okay. So I have a really good friend. I, in fact, I just uh, officiated his wedding New Year's Eve, this last New Year's Eve, who is the uh, clubhouse manager for the Kansas City Royals guy named Tyler Agenter. Um, and so he was working for the Royals at the time, and he would drive past one of these uh, billboards every, every day on his way into the stadium, okay? And he'd kind of laugh, and he took a couple pictures of it and sent it to me. Um, that Sunday morning, uh, May 21st, May 21st, I woke up, and I had a text from him already. He was already headed into um, uh, Royal Stadium, and on the way in, there was another billboard right past the, the May 21st is the day, Harold Camping's billboard, okay? There was another billboard right past it, and, and it was unveiled apparently at midnight, okay? And it said, well, that was awkward. <laughs> and then dot, 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 and then underneath it said, um, Matthew 24, 36, no one knows the day or the hour. <laughs> so, okay. So I decided to dig in on Harold Camping. Okay, this was the fifth, fifth time that he had predicted Jesus was coming back. And people were still giving him money, and he, was, he still had a ministry, and he still had legitimacy. Fifth time. Okay, then I dug a little bit more. He passed away a couple of years later. He had $110 million in his ministry bank. A hundred and ten million dollars, okay? So we could just fund sacred space 
22 times over with that $110 million, okay? So, I am here to tell you that Jesus is coming October 13th, 2023, and you better start giving some money, okay? Because apparently that's how you raise money, right? Is you scare people. Yeah, I just made that up right on the spot because that's essentially what they do. But see, Harold Camping predicted this five times, and each time he never said, oh, gosh, I'm really sorry. He just said, ah, oh, I went back and checked my calculations, and I made a little mistake. I'll get back to you with the real date. That's right. Uh, Rich Menard just said each time he was a little closer. So for those of you listening on the podcast who are like, what did he say? What did he say? Okay. Very good. Anyway, so I digress. Remember, Peter is also the one who writes that with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like one day. So you got to remember that. He wrote that in 2 Peter chapter 3. So what Peter is saying is that Jesus is coming, but whenever he comes, we need to be ready. That's what he's saying. He's saying he's coming, but the point is to be ready. Okay, it's just like uh, what we talked about Sunday. Um, the, the Babylonians are going to be humiliated, and God makes that clear. But the point isn't the humiliation. The, the point is that God is sovereign. See, we have all these things that, that we see described in the Bible that is pointing us to the bigger and more important point. So he's, he's saying that he's coming, but whatever, what's important is that we have to be ready. We have to be walking in a manner worthy of the gospel. And if you walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, you are going to be countercultural. That's just natural. Okay? And as for Peter, walking in a manner worthy of the gospel, uh, you'll see it in this passage. It means we need to be sober-minded. Okay? What does that mean? No more happy hours. No, that's not what it means. Okay? The Greek word literally means to have a mind that is clear of foolishness, and a mind that is focused on wisdom and self-control, notice the word self-control in there as well, in order to make sound and correct judgments in your life. So get rid of the clutter in your mind in order to be able to make sound, wise judgments and decisions. It's what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, have in you the same mind that was in Christ Jesus. Okay, And I'll just say, it seems like um, the last thing on most people, person's mind in this world today is to be sober-minded, unfortunately. But again, I digress. I'm good at digressions tonight. And then in verse 8, just like Paul, Peter begins his short gifts treatise with the importance of love. But what does it mean that love covers a multitude of sins? Actually, uh, it's not all that complicated. Here's the, here's the explanation that scholars give. Christ-like love is an attitude that does, does not keep accounts is willing to forgive, and does not let bitterness take over. That bitterness thing is the most difficult and troubling one. When you you start to keep accounts, you're not willing to forgive, bitterness and resentment set in, and that is a self-destructive way to live. Okay? Self-destructive way. Uh, What is is the old saying? When when you decide to seek revenge, you you need to dig two graves, one for the other person and one for yourself. Okay, so this approach to the wayward believer is one that genuinely confronts the sin when needed. This is love, covers a multitude of sins. You confront the, the sin when needed, but also does it, does it in a way that ensures for the sinner that they are still loved in spite of their sin, and they are still welcomed into the community of faith. 
So you confront the sin, but you're still welcomed in the community of faith. Again, it's this pro-social shame thing that I've been talking about that Dr. Anna Lemke talks about in her book, Dopamine Nation. So now it's within this context of sober-mindedness, wisdom, love, and self-control that we exercise these three spiritual gifts that Peter addresses. Number one, hospitality. Again, so many of the gifts are things that all Christians are called to, but um, if you have this gift, you have a special dose of this ability. And it's something that you love to do and you lean into it. So hospitality, while all believers are called to be hospitable and welcoming, if, if somebody stands at the, at the front door of the church and insults people as they walk in and then says, well, I just don't have the gift of hospitality, suck it up, okay? That's, not, that's a problem, okay? All right? This is the gift that allows for the unusual ability for someone to reach out and invite over and above what normally people do. It's the person who, and we have people like this in our congregation, by the way. It's the person who, on a Sunday, is looking for someone new uh, in the church so that they can ask them out for coffee or lunch right after the service. Okay? It's the person or couple whose home is always open to host whatever it is that, that uh, the church needs to host or whatever a small group needs to host. It's that person or couple in the church leadership that the church leadership always seems to think of when they need someone to open their home for a church event. If you were here that Sunday when um, James Dufresne, when I was interviewing James Dufresne, and he talked about how he and Jillian got married the first time in the backyard of Jim and, and Pat Moreland's house. And then he said, if you have a really nice home and backyard like that, you should, you should open it up for people to be able to do things like that. Um, that's what he's talking That Those are the people who have... Uh, great hospitality gifts. And I can tell you that in this room right here, we have people with great hospitality gifts. We do. And, and the Morelands, by the way, still, even with Jim as, as um, sick as he is, they are still extraordinarily uh, given to hospitality. You know the Wheelers are also given to tremendous hospitality. We have a lot of people like that in this. Um, sometimes, we're doing baptisms on Easter, by the way, if anybody wants to get baptized. We're doing baptisms on Easter, but we also occasionally... Um, we'll, we'll, we'll have a little backyard party in somebody, at somebody's house and do it in somebody's pool. It's really fun to do that in January in an unheated pool, by the way. Those are real Christians that get... Wasn't it cold when we did you, Ryan? We did you in the backyard of... Was it? I thought it was... Beautiful September. Okay, so you're, you're, you're on the fence. Okay. But we baptized Ryan at, at uh, the Wheeler's house in the backyard. Nice little party. It was fun. Yeah. So anyway, that's hospitality. Teaching... Uh, that's uh, in verse 11, one who speaks. We've discussed this one already. It's the ability to explain and apply God's word in an unusually effective way. The person who can see God's uh, relevant application in all situations of God's word. Um, by the way, I've taken these two assessments that we're going to show you tonight. Uh, both, in both assessments, this teaching came out as my number one primary gift. I don't know what that means. I guess I'm supposed to teach. Okay. And then serving, it's another one we've already defined. It's the unusual ability to selfishly and joyously meet the needs of others through practical service. Believe it or not, I have this as a secondary gift. <laughs> and Jackie's in the back going, really, selflessly? Really? I, I was surprised, but it's one of my secondary gifts, and it came out, again, on both of them. 
And notice again verse 11. So I have three primary gifts, four secondary gifts. And so we'll talk about that in a second, about this whole gift mix thing. Um, Again, in verse 11, all the gifts are supplied by God. They are for the glory of God and his church. And then what comes after the gifts in Peter's letter, context, he says in verse 12, don't be surprised by the fiery trials that the world shows at us, throws at us because we're believers. Because we are believers practicing the gifts as God, as God has given to them to us. See, the world does not understand us. Doesn't understand what we're doing. They can't. They are unenlightened, living, living comfortably in darkness. Living. Let, let me tell you something. I, I was an adult when I came to Christ. I was 27 years old. When I, when I hear that phrase, living comfortably in darkness, I understand exactly what that means. I was living comfortably in darkness. I thought I was fine. In fact, I thought I was pretty much better than anybody else. In the darkness, I was very comfortable. By the way, if you're living comfortable in the, comfortably in the darkness, Satan isn't that interested in you. He's already fixed your wagon. It's when you come to Christ that you start to encounter him. That's the truth. Okay. Anyway, I understand that, that idea of living comfortably in darkness. Um, so there's going to be, and the Bible tells us this, when you come to Christ, there are going to be trials and tribulations and difficulties. Okay? John 16, Jesus says, in this world that you will have trouble. Okay? Uh, Schrader used to talk about um, how there's that little uh, leather-bound, gold-leaf promises of God book, and it has all those verses about how God's going to promise you um, uh, financial stability and all, great health and all these promises of God that they select these verses pretty much out of context. And he says, you never find John 16:33 in the promises of God. In this world, you will have trouble. That's a promise that Jesus gives us. But take heart, I've overcome this world. James 1, chapters, uh, verses 2 and 3. Um, Consider it all joy when you encounter trials of various kinds. When, not if, but when you encounter trials of various kinds. Because the testing of your faith will produce perseverance. So don't be surprised by the fiery trial. Rather, count it a joy and privilege that we share in the very same sufferings that Jesus experienced. Paul says that in Philippians chapter 3. He says, I want to know. It's a privilege to know these sufferings. Okay? But again, the world doesn't understand this. They can't. And, and, I, and I'll just tell you, there's, there's, a huge, there's been a huge movement. Uh, by the way, I'm all for being nice and kind. I, I'm, put me down for a yes for nice and kind. Okay, please? All right? Nice and kind. Frank is down for a yes. But uh, the last 15 or 20 years, the number of Christian authors who have said, this is the new strategy that's going to get the world to love the church, is if we would just be nicer to everybody. That's the strategy. We just need to be nicer. And people will come flocking to the church. It doesn't work. They don't get it. They don't see it. They're living in darkness. Here's what the Bible teaches. The Holy Spirit needs to move in a person's life. Okay? And and I know that's true because the Bible said it. And then in a secondary way, I know that's true because that's what happened to me. The Holy Spirit had to move in my life. I thought I was fine. It took an act, an intervention of God, His Spirit confronting me in my sin and saying, ah, you're really not that great. You need a savior. Okay? So finally, I mentioned that Peter's passage also has some countercultural characteristics that Christians need to prepare to embrace, endure, and endure. 
which is also part of the fiery trials deal. So here they are very quickly and then the assessment. So he says, uh, we need to be loving even in the midst of sin. We need to confront sin firmly, but with compassion. But we need to do it firmly. Uh, we need to be, verses 10 and 11, we need to be outward focused. That's one of the values of Redemption Church. Uh, we are not surprised or see ourselves as victims when things don't go our way. We rejoice even in our sufferings because we have the hope and confidence of Christ. One other thing to be aware of, uh, and this is what I was talking about before, pe- people really don't have just one spiritual gift. Okay, the, the idea that you just have one and that's it and this is it, you're just going to do this, that's really not it. What, what we all have is what's called a gift mix. We have one or two or three maybe primary gifts and then two or three or four supporting gifts. So here are mine, according to these two assessments. So my three primary gifts are teaching, shepherding, and exhortation or encouragement. And then my secondary gifts are knowledge, discernment. I'm a little surprised about that one, but the number of people who seek counsel from me, maybe that's why, I don't know. Um, But so knowledge and discernment, prophecy. Now, again, that's not future telling. Prophecy is looking at somebody's trajectory of their life, looking at scripture and being able to say, according to scripture, if you keep doing this, this is what's going to happen. That's not future telling. Okay. That's just simply uh, understanding the Bible and understanding the trajectory of somebody's life. That's primarily what the prophets did in the Old Testament as well. So I have that. And then I have serving as well. So there you go. Uh, Tyler, can you help me now? 